Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. We're going to open on our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 23. It's on page 21 in the Bible that's down there in front of you if you uh, forgot your Bible at home. And we have been studying over the last, I don't know, about 15 weeks now, the life of Abraham and his wife Sarah, and really discovering more and more about God and who he is. And Abraham uh, lived about 2,000 years before Christ, and yet he points us to Christ, he points us to our need of Christ, and he points us to the promise of God to, receive, to send a Redeemer and a Rescuer. And uh, he, God called Abraham and Sarah to be kind of like the prince and princess of, um, of our faith, really. And, um, and one of the things we've discovered about Abraham and Sarah is that they've been married for a really, really long time, right? A really, really long time. And I was thinking about how long they've been married, and I poked around on the internet a little bit, and I found a couple who, before their death, uh, just recently, were the longest married living couple uh, in, in the world that was, was documented. And their names are Herbert and Zelmira Fisher. And here they are. They live down in North Carolina. They went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. But when Herbert died, he passed away first, they had been married, get this, 86 years. Now that's a couple of years. Here they are on their wedding day back on May 13, 1924. And, and, and cool thing, too, is they were both believers in Jesus. They really loved the Lord Jesus. But this is kind of an odd thing, is, is they went to different churches. And maybe that was part of the success of, of staying married. I don't know. They didn't, you know, some of the church stuff that happens. They were both really active in their churches. Herbert went to Pilgrim Chapel Missionary Baptist Church. Kind of a mouthful, right, when you're inviting someone to church, Right. And Zelmira one-upped him. She went to Jones Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. So, hey, come on over to our church. It wouldn't fit on a bumper sticker, you know, on the back of a car. He had to put it on two or three cars. And when, when Zelma was 103, an interviewer asked her what the secret of such a long marriage was. And, and she scowled when this guy asked her this question. She said, she said there's no secret it was only God who kept us together. Man, isn't that awesome? 86 years of marriage, one man to one woman. Man, that is cool, isn't it? 86 years. Now, Abraham and Sarah have got them beat by a mile. They got them beat by a mile. So open up with me again to Genesis chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Now, before I read verses 1 and 2, I'm going to say something. Happy Mother's Day, and then you're going to be mad at me when I read verses 1 and 2. <laughs> Sarah lived to be 127 years old, and she died. Happy Mother's Day. Now, how in the world this passage, it's, this is all my fault, fell on Mother's Day. It is absolutely all my fault. And I was going to make Derek or Bart John or, or Fred or Matt, somebody else preach this passage today, because I just can't do this on Mother's Day, you know. But I think you're going to see the hope that's in it, okay? 
Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Now you're going to want to remember Hebron. It's very important to our story. You might want to underline it. She died at Hebron in the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. So Sarah dies at 127. Abraham is 137. So in that day, people got married earlier than they do today. So that probably means that Abraham and Sarah were probably married not 86 years, but they were probably married about 110 years. Um, And in fact, and Abraham goes on to live another 38 years. And I have a theory on this, is that Sarah said, I've had enough of Abraham. (laughs) And she just says, I'm just going to die here after about 110 years of marriage. And of course, they had a son, didn't they? They only had one son. His name was Isaac. And he was not, just in case you're checking, you're doing your math, he was not a honeymoon baby. Uh, he, was, uh, he was 37 years old when his mom died. So um, what we're, I want to give you a little backstory on Abraham and Sarah that's really important that we haven't looked at in our study. So hold your finger or put your wife's hand or something in Genesis chapter 23 and go back to the New Testament, way to the back of the, your Bible, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And in that Bible, it's in front of you. It's on page uh, uh, 1212. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 gives us some really important backstory to Abraham and Sarah, and I think it'll be important for us today as we look at this passage. So uh, um, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start at verse 8. By faith, Abraham and Sarah, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So when Abraham was about 75 years old, um, he had another 100 years to live, right? So he's just a spring chicken at 75. He's got another 100 years to live. God called him, and we've seen in our study together that God didn't look down and find the best Christian that he could find on the earth. He looked down, and he, in his grace, chose a rebellious sinner like you and me. And totally by his grace, he reaches down into Ur of the Chaldeans. We'll put our map up here. There in Ur, a modern-day Iraq, he reaches down and he picks a moon-worshipping, devil-worshipping, demonic-worshipping, polytheistic person, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to bring you to myself. And then he made him a bunch of promises. He says, I want you to go to this land, and you see probably the route that he took, to go to this land, the promised land of Canaan. And there's Hebron there on our map that's going to be important to us. And he says, I want you to go to this promised land. I'm going to make you a series of promises. And three of the promises were these. The first promise, and, uh, um, there were more than three, but I'm just going to center on three, is that Abraham, you are going to have more children. If I took you out uh, in the middle of the desert one night, in the middle of the night, a moonless night, and you looked up at the stars and you could count all those stars, you'll have more children than that. And Abraham is 75 years old, and his wife Sarah has no children. This is just the most crazy, ludicrous promise God could make. But Abraham believed God, and Sarah believed God that God could do this. So the first promise he made was a, prom- uh, was a sky full of kiddos. And then he also gave him a promise, a second promise, was a promise of a land, that he would give him this land. Let's go back to the map. I'm so sorry. Let's leave that up for a bit there. This promise that he would inherit this 
promised land. Now, Abraham, he's going to be a stranger. He's going to be an alien. And yet God is going to give him this promised land. And then the third promise that God made to Abraham was that through Abraham and Sarah would come a child, impossible to have. Sarah was past the way of childbearing. But they would have a child, and through that child's child, 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 that Sarah and Abraham would be the great, 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 something like that, more than that, grandparents of one singular male who would be the rescuer of the world, who would be Jesus. And he gives them this great promise, and he says, through that one seed of yours, people among every tribe and nation around the world will come to know and to worship me just like we sang about just now. That in every language group, in every ethnic group, in every people group all around the world, there would be people who would come and worship before me because of my son Jesus. So these three great promises, a promise of, a, of, a, promises of, of, of kiddos, promises of a land, and promises that through Abraham, the whole earth would be blessed through the Son. Now, now all of these promises seem crazy, they seem far-fetched, but Abraham and Sarah believed that God would see to it, right? That God would provide. They didn't know how, but they trusted that God would see to it. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he's 75, she's 65, he would later receive as an inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, verse 9, he made his home in this promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And so... uh, I'm going to have you, Tracy, I'm so sorry. Let's put, I just told you to put it up for a second. We're going to put that map back up. So when he comes into the promised land, he enjoyed life. He loved his wife. He, he, he loved food. He, he loved all that God provided. He really loved life and really enjoyed life. And while he and Sarah really enjoyed life, they also looked forward, what does he say, to another city, whose architect and builder was God. And so while he lived in the here and now, he had his eyes and his heart and his mind really focused on something in the future. And that's the way God wants us to live. He wants us to live now, but to remember that we're strangers and aliens, that we are to live in tents in this world because we're making our investment and our focus about a world that is yet to come. That's what he's saying, isn't it? There in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And that's when, when, we, when we choose in this world to give away what we could keep and use on ourselves, our time or our energies or our affections or our money, when we choose to let loose of those in this world to make investments in the next world, to make investments in other people, to make investments in missionaries, to make investments in what God says is really important. We, we, are, we live like Abraham and Sarah, enjoying this world, but looking to a world that's never going to end. And as we build, help to build Christ into people's lives, we're making these investments in the future. It's when we, when we hold loosely to our own desires 
and our own dreams and our own wants, and we are willing to, to let them slip through our hands for something better, that's living for that new world. It's when, it's when difficulty and disappointment come in our life, and they do, that we go, oh my gosh, that hurts, and we grieve and we ache, but we say and know and believe that something better is yet to come. In fact, the best is yet to come, right? And we don't hold on so tight to the things in this world, or we enjoy them. Sarah and Abraham did, but they were looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. They were investing in God's future. So verse 11 then, we come to in, in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children at the age of 90 because she considered him, God, faithful who had made the promise. She knew that God would see to it. Oh, did she have some failures in faith? Do I have failures in faith? Are we all broken? Check your pulse. Check your breath. If you're breathing... You're broken, right? We are messy people. But somehow, even through her messiness, and even through our messiness, there is this faith that God is able to do what he's promised. Uh, She considered him faithful who had made the promise, verse 12. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So that's a great backstory. So let's go back now to Genesis, Genesis chapter 23, where we're going to pick back up. So that just kind of helps you to fill in a little bit. I want you to remember some of those phrases there from uh, the book of, uh, of Hebrews there. So we're back in Genesis chapter 23. So, so um, she di- uh, verse 1, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Cana, the promised land, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. It's interesting, this is the first time in the Bible that we find someone weeping and mourning over someone. It's the first time these two words, mourn and weep, appear in our Bible. I think that's interesting that that God says that the first thing that's worth mourning over is a husband weeping over his beloved wife. That's a pretty cool picture. The first time that we discover this, these kinds of emotion. And they loved each other. Oh, they had their mess-ups. They had their dysfunction, just like every marriage. But being loved by God, they were able to love one another. I think we all oftentimes think of Abraham and Sarah, you know, you just see the white-bearded old dude. And you remember, she was beautiful. And here's a painting from an Italian painter of Abraham and Sarah during their younger days. Isn't that a, I, I, I love that image. It just reminds me of this gift that God had given Abraham and Sarah and the gift of, that he had given to Sarah of Abraham. And so when she died, there was mourning and weeping. And there should be. And, and, and many of you here today have experienced this kind of pain in your life of losing someone who's so dear and so close to you, a a parent or a mate or a child or a good friend. And, and, And God says that he collects all of those tears together. He sees and he hears our weeping and our mourning. 
But I wonder with the, those tears, if there was not only a mixture of sadness, but I think there was also probably a mixture of great hope. Why? Because Hebrews told us what? What were they really looking forward to? They were looking forward to a city who had foundations that were solid, whose architect and builder was God. And so even though mixed in with this pain and suffering and the tears, they're at that gravesite, and I've been there, and you've been there where you've just wept and mourned, but because of Jesus Christ, there is this amazing great hope, isn't there, that one day, interesting that in the first book of the Bible, we find weeping and tears and mourning. And in the last book of the Bible, God speaks of that new city, Revelation chapter 21, that he's going to build. And one of the characteristics of that city is what? That he will wipe away every tear. That there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more death. And I think Abraham, as he wept at, that tomb, at, the, at, the, at, at the death of his wife, mixed in with those sad tears that had to be there, right? They had to be there. Were these tears of hope and joy and of promise that, that, that God's promises were sure and is that he and his wife had looked forward to that city that was not built by hands but by, built by God who was the architect that he had a great hope. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And I just want to challenge us, church. How much of our energy and how much of our time is spent on the frivolous and the small-minded and the first world problems of the day we live in. Now, when your fence gets knocked over, you have to fix it, right? When, 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 when the kids get sick, you've got to take them to the doctors. We understand all of that. But, but Abraham and Sarah saw that and saw beyond that, and they said, we want to make an investment into God's future. We want to, we, we, we want to be people who... Um, who are growing and living in our faith and are willing to hold loosely to the things of this world so that we can hold tightly to the things of the investment of the future. And you know what? I think of there's just a whole bunch of young people from Paseo del Rey that right now, this summer, are, 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 are doing exactly what Abraham and Sarah did, who are, who are really saying, I'm going to aim at heaven, and when I aim at heaven, I get earth thrown in as well. I think of Aaron Brandt and Rachel Olson and Lisa and Garrett DeBlau and Isabella Garcia and Daniel Academian, and probably missing some others, who are, who are going on missions this summer, short-term missions and long-term missions and saying, you know, there's all kinds of other things that I could hold on to. There's all kinds of other things that I could do this summer or part of my summer or the next two years. But what they're saying is there's something much more important. I want to live and enjoy in this world like Abraham and Sarah did, but like them, I want to hope and invest in God's future. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I want to challenge you to think. What is it in this world that you're holding on to so tightly 
that is keeping you from investing in people that in, in people and God's future for the world, in God's future of bringing Christ to your neighbor, your coworker, and to people at the ends of the earth. Hold more loosely and look for that place that God is building, um, that, um, where he is the builder, the architect and the builder. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 23. You'll notice that I've only covered two verses. And there's 18 more verses in this chapter. And, and, and here's the curious thing, is there's 18 more. In this chapter, um, there's two verses about Sarah's death and then 18 verses about getting a burial plot for her. Now, that's weird, isn't it? Um, and, and this is not the first person in Abraham's life to die, right? Abraham's, we know Abraham's brother died. We know Abraham's father died. We know Abraham's sister, or uh, uh, that, that, his, uh, that Lot's wife died. And in each of those cases, there's just one verse given to, the, to their death. But here when Sarah dies, there's, 18, there's two verses given to her death and then 18 verses given to the funeral arrangements for Sarah. And you're going to notice when we look at it that they they go into great detail, almost too much detail, and they repeat things. They they underline things by repeating things. Um, uh, And they're crammed full of details about the art of the deal and where she will be buried. In all the other deaths in Abraham's life, one verse. Here, this whole chapter is all about her death, and really all about her burial place. Now, now why is that? Why does God record all of these details? And I think it's because he has something very important to tell us about this burial site. So let's go forward and take a look at it. Verse 3. Then Abraham arose from beside his dead wife, and he spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. So uh, there in the Hebron area, these these Hittites were the landowners there. And Abraham goes and says, hey, I'm a foreigner, as we saw in in, the book of Hebrews, and a stranger. Now, would you sell me some property so I can bury my wife? Verse 5, the Hittites replied to Abraham, sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying his dead. And indeed, Abraham was a mighty prince. Um, Back in Genesis chapter 14, um, he became famous as a military strategist, as a military general from the north of the promised land to the south of the promised land. Everyone know, knew who Abraham was. So, so they, they treat him with respect that he would deserve. Verse 7, then Abraham rose and he bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said to them, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, the son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site uh, among you. So um, uh, the, the, the Hittites said, no, why don't you just use one of our tombs? Just use the best of our tombs. And Abraham said, no, I want a separate site. I want a site that's distinctive, that, that's, that's, that's mine. Um, uh, and, and he says, I want full disclosure on this. I want, I'm going to pay full price. 
I want everyone to know about this. This conversation is going on in the city gates. We're going to see in just a moment. So he wants everyone to know that he's going to buy this cave and that he's going to own this cave, and he wants everyone to know that he owns this cave. So verse 10. So Ephron, the Hittite, was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites. Now, just check out all the details. He could have told this story just like that, but he was a preacher, um, and, and, and so he kind of elongated a little bit, but he's telling us a lot of details on purpose. There's a reason that he's doing this, right? Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the city gate, no, my Lord, listen to me, I, I'm going to give you this, my field as a gift. I give it to you. I give you the field and the, and the cave in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Now, what this is is local color. It's kind of a local custom. And I've had this happen to me in the Mideast as well. I'll see something that I want to buy, and I'll go to the merchant, and I'll say, how much is that? And the merchant will say to me, oh, you are my friend. It is yours. Take it. Well, what are you going to do when someone says, take it? You say, no, 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 I'm going to pay full price. Oh, no, you're too good of a friend. You take it. It's a bargaining process you're going through. It's the same thing you do when you put your car on Craigslist. You know, you put it way high because you know someone's going to bid way low. It's just kind of the opposite of that. And that was the custom in the day. Ephron is not offering to give um, Abraham this, this land for free. Verse 12, again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land And he said to Ephron in their hearing, see, he wants to make sure everyone hears this. Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, verse 14, listen to me, my Lord. My land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Take the land. But if you need to know the value, it's 400 shekels of silver. Verse 16, Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms. And as he's agreeing to his terms and he's weighing out 400 shekels of silver, Ephron has, he has to turn around because he's laughing so hard. 400 shekels of silver is ridiculous. When Joseph was sold into slavery later in Genesis, you know how many shekels they got for Joseph? 20 shekels. And now they're selling this piece of land for 400 shekels the rest of Ephron's life. He says, I took, I took advantage of Abraham. I got a lot from him. I, I, took, I, 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 I ripped him off is what, is what he would say the, the whole rest of the story here. So Abraham, verse 16, agreed to Ephron's terms and he weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees with the borders of its field was deeded to Abraham as this, his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. And afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is in, at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as their burial site. So why in the world all of this detail about the bargaining and the buying and the making sure everyone knew and the paying of full price for this land? What was the reason that God spent 18 verses 
telling us what he could have said told in one verse. And I'm going to share with you several reasons why that's true. One of the reasons is that this is the first real estate that Abraham owns in the land of promise. Up until now, he's been in the land for 62 years, in the land that God was giving to him, and so far he's owned no real estate. And now, before everyone in that community, it's as if he's making a down payment that this land belongs to God. It's like he's taking the cross of Christ and he's planting the cross of Christ in the middle of this land and saying, as for me and for my house, we will follow the Lord. And this land belongs to the Lord. Now, another reason is that, it, well, think of this. Abraham could have, could have bought a burial plot anywhere in the land, but he chooses Hebron, repeated over and over in the story. He, he places it in Hebron, and he placed it in Hebron for a reason. He placed it near, there, there, near the, the trees of Mamre in the t- town that used to be called Kiriath Arab, and this was an important place to Abraham. Because this is the place where he, 60 years earlier, he'd built an altar to worship the Lord when he'd first come into the land. And it was here in Hebron that the three visitors had come, remember? And when Abraham was 99 in chapter 18 and Sarah was 89, they were living in tents. And the Lord appeared to Abraham at Hebron and promised that he would come back the next year and Sarah would have a son. And so this place, Hebron, was of great significance to, to um, Abraham. And Hebron, was, we'll see on the map here, is pretty geographically centered. And it sits on I-5, on the major north-south route through Israel. And, and you know how like um, uh, when you drive on 5 and you go through Anaheim, and, and you just can't miss it off to the left. What is it? The Matterhorn, Right. We used to tell our kids, look to the right, kids. Look to the right. There's, look what's happening over there. There's free ice cream to the right. And then I'd just zoom by the Matterhorn. So they, they still don't know it's there, by the way. Don't mention it to them. And, and he, he places it in this central city, Abraham does, this burial place, in this central city so that everyone traveling north and south in the land, when they stopped there in Hebron, And they would say, the children would say to their parents, what is this site? It was commemorated site. What is this site? This is the place that your great-great-grandmother, Sarah, the one that God kept his promise to, that God is the God who sees to it. This is the place where she was buried. Now, here's what's cool. Not only is Princess Sarah buried there, but when Abraham dies, he's buried in these same caves. And when Abraham's son Isaac dies years later, he's placed into the grave. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is placed into the same grave in the same field. And Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Jacob, and his wife, Leah, are placed into this grave. And interestingly, just before Jesus' birth, Herod the Great knew where this site was. It was a well-known site. It was a place where people would stop and they would remember the God of promise. And so just before Jesus was born, Herod the Great, the ruler over this land of Palestine, built a gigantic memorial over this cave 
And it stands today. It's the only standing Herodian uh, uh, building in the world. It's the second most important site for Jews in all of the world. You can go and visit, and interestingly enough, you see a minaret that's erected that 600 years after Jesus' birth, this minaret uh, was erected there, and now it is split between Jews on one side and Muslims on the other side, and there's no mixing except for a couple of days of the year. Now, God recorded all of these 18 verses of details for a reason. Because Abraham wanted people who would come along this road and see this burial site, not only to remember Sarah, not only to remember Abraham, but more importantly, to recall and to tell and to retell and remind themselves and others of the God of the promise. That we have a God who always sees to it and who sends his son to come into this world and to bring, re- to bring us rescue, to bring us a redeemer. That we have a rescuer. That God, through Abraham and Sarah, kept his promises. And he'll always keep his promises. And every time someone would walk by that tomb, they would ask, what's that about? And someone would tell them and retell them and remind them of the story that God is a God who always keeps his promises who sends us a rescuer. We're going to invite our worship band to come because we're going, to, we're going to share in a memorial. We're going to share together in a meal that Jesus gave us, and he gave us great instructions about it. And it's a meal that is to be like this burial place of Abraham and Sarah. It's to be a meal that every time we take this bread and every time we dip it into the juice... Jesus tells us that we're to remember all that he's done for us. To remember that he gave his life for us. That we're to remember that he poured out his blood for us. That he is, the, he is the God who keeps his promises always to us. To people like Abraham and Sarah who don't deserve it. People like Gary and people like you who don't deserve it. But God in his great love for us has kept his promise and sent his son who died in our place, that we can now be forgiven. Now, as we share in this memorial and as we remember about the memorial that Abraham built there in Hebron, I want you to think about where you can build memorials in your life, where you can tell and retell and retell over and over again the gospel story to others and remind them And tell them sometimes for the first time all that Jesus has done for you. And I want to give you a challenge this week. I want to give you a challenge this week that you would talk to one person this week and that you would share with them how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are going, oh, gosh, that's such an old story. I've told that story so many times. It's not very dramatic. Oh, it's not. I didn't have needles hanging out of my arms. You know, I wasn't in jail. I wasn't in prison. Tell the story of what God did to one other person this week. Be like Abraham. Build a memorial. Be like Jesus. Give a memorial that will remind and recall and tell and retell and remind others of all that Jesus has done for you in your life. 
I want to challenge you to do that. I want to, inc- I want to, I want to urge you to do that to, with one other person this week to tell your story. Remember, re- remind yourself and remind others that Jesus, of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, well, this would be a great morning to do that. To believe that God always keeps his promises and that you, just like me, don't deserve his love, that we deserve his wrath, that we're sinners through and through. And yet Jesus has loved you so much that he poured out his life for you, that he died on the cross in your place and in my place so that we could get, that he could give us his righteousness, that he would forgive all of our sins. And if that's never happened in your life, we would love for that, for, to see you and, and help you to pray and invite Jesus into your life, to confess your sins and to thank Jesus for doing what you couldn't do, that he saw to it for you. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of Abraham and Sarah and how Abraham built a place that would remind people and retell the story of the gospel, that all that would see it would say, what happened here? And it would be that opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And Father, we pray that for um, uh, each of us here, that in our lives, we would have memorials. Maybe they're not physical, but times and opportunities where we would retell and remind others of the good news of Jesus in our lives. And we thank you for this time, the Lord's Supper. And as we come now, as we take the bread, and as we dip it into the juice, the Lord, we would retell the gospel story to ourselves of your great love for us, that you'd fill us with gratitude, and you'd fill us with new power, and you'd fill us with new desire to tell others about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.